Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. I'm Joshua. We love scary old-time radio stories. There's nothing quite like a disembodied voice telling a genuinely disturbing tale, but do these stories stand the test of time, or are we being deceived by nostalgia? Are they suspenseful or forgettable, bone-chilling or butt-numbing? That's what we're here to find out. This week we'll be listening to an episode of The Haunting Hour, entitled Murder Wears a Strange Mask. We don't know much about The Haunting Hour. It was announced in Billboard magazine as a new series on KYW in Philadelphia in December of 1945, but it was also airing on KVOA in Tucson in June of that same year. When the show premiered on WHIZ, or WIZ, in Zanesville, Ohio, an announcement was published which included some hints as to the artists behind the program. It listed Edwin Wolfe as the director and Max Ehrlich as a writer. The announcement also named Frank Lovejoy and Betty Furness as actors on the show. We do know, however, that there were 52 recordings and that despite the show's name, none of them were actually an hour long. Forget the petty distractions around you. Forget what you think you know. Forget everything but what you hear right now. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Imagination is free and moves forward swiftly, silently. This is The Haunting Hour. Murder wears a strange mask. highway and byway is destiny's trail, and where it leads and what lies ahead is destiny's secret. Down a dark road speeds a car, bearing in it two who are destiny's children, or they don't know it. To themselves, they are two people on their way to a masquerade ball. Steve Raymond and his fiancée, Marsha Phillips, heading for an evening of gaiety and laughter. But they are destined to spend a strange, macabre evening in fear. For one of the guests at the masquerade is death. Uh, 
Well, you're rather fetching in your gypsy costume, Marcia. <laughs> in a moment, I'll be tempted to read your mind. Well, there isn't much I can hide from you, darling. Your womanly instincts are quite remarkable. Especially where John Williams is concerned? Oh, now, now look here, Marcia. I must admit this magician's disguise of mine isn't too effective. For one thing, it hasn't helped me to change your disposition. Steve. But if you will, my dear, please try to check your suspicions at the door. Fortunately, we're not married as yet, and Ben Carter's masquerade promises too good a time for you to spoil. At the risk of being stubborn, dear, I'm curious to know what you see in her. Or perhaps you can tell me why Roy Benson is still madly pursuing her. I guess he never stopped loving her. He was her first husband. Just the same, Steve, dear. If I so much as see you go near her tonight, I might be tempted to drop a potent mixture in the punch bowl. <laughs> oh, be careful with your predictions, darling. You're a gypsy fortune teller tonight, and I'd rather not see you proven accurate. That's up to you, Steve. You're a little early with your masquerade, Marsha. Where do we get to Ben's place? Then you can feed Strychnine to Joan Williams and all my other lots. Steve, my shirt. Oh, pardon me. I'm not supposed to know who you are. That wasn't fair, Ben. Uh, what else could we expect from my partner, dear? He knows every hair on my head. Well, don't fear. I won't give you away. Well, you both look perfect. You've adopted a rather simple costume, Ben. I've used this clown suit for 15 years. It's a durable disguise. Good heavens. Who's that fellow in the black tights and shirt supposed to be? Hmm? Oh, he's posing as the royal executioner. Who can it be, Steve? It's hard to tell from here. I don't seem to recognize him. Steve, I've simply got to find out who that executioner is. Oh, now, Marsha. He's just over there. Well, can't you wait till midnight? Quiet, quiet, here he is. Why, uh, I beg your pardon. Good evening. That's a very unusual costume you're wearing. Thank you. I uh, merely borrowed it from a friend of mine. I hope it's effective. Your voice, it's, it's quite familiar. Oh, now, Miss Phillips, don't you recognize Steve Raymond's rival for Joan Williams' hand? Roy Benson. Oh. Of course. I follow Joan everywhere. And especially on a night such as this. I couldn't resist seeing her dressed as Cinderella. And in a very charming costume, too, no doubt. Oh, but naturally, my wife, I beg your pardon, my former wife, has a talent for being beautiful. Now, what sort of executions do you have a hand in, Roy? Oh, no special method, Steve. I've really no preference. Hush, gentlemen. The dream approaches. Cinderella. Oh, my, what a charming trio. A magician, a gypsy, and an executioner. You're looking lovely, my dear. Thank you, Roy. How are you, Marsha? I don't know. As yet. How are you, Steve, dear? Looking for a glass slipper, Cinderella? And perhaps a way to break our engagement. Perhaps. Quiet, everyone. Ben's getting ready to speak. The ladies and gentlemen of the masquerade, as master of the revels, I welcome you to the ball. You've been asked here, disguised in the roles for which you have all longed these many years. You're all strangers to one another, your identity known only to yourselves. Thus you will remain till midnight. But till that hour, the mystery of the unknown is yours. The excitement of living a dream is in your hands. I see a magician here, a peasant, a statesman, a clown such as myself, and oh, there, there's Cinderella, who at midnight will find that dreams must end. But until the clock strikes, give yourselves to music and wine. And dancing. Oh, 
friends, the wiles of a sorcerer are many. Oh, show us another trick, magician. No, no, I must put my knives away now. One more trick, and your eyes will be quicker than my hand. <laughs> Steve, I've got to see you. Oh, want to know how I did that last trick? Come here, quickly. What's the matter, Ben? There's something upstairs I want you to see. Can't wait? You had better come now. <laughs> Whatever it is, you're guarding it like a state secret. Ben, don't look so pale. Can't be as bad as all that. Were you up here earlier this evening? Yes, I think so. Were you in the library? Hmm. You must have been spying on me. I was there a little while ago. Where are we going? To the library. Here. Here we are. There. In front of the fireplace. No, it can't be. Unfortunately, it is. Joan Williams. Stabbed to death. I don't believe it. It's not an illusion, Steve. It's real. I found it like this a few minutes ago. But how did it happen? I thought you could tell me. What are you talking about? Look at that knife closely. Good heavens. Isn't that one of the knives that you were using in your demonstration tonight, Steve? Oh, you're talking nonsense, Ben. I didn't kill her. Who said you did? Well, you inferred it. Oh, what's the sense of this wrangling? Joan's dead. I didn't do it, but I want the man who did. There's a set of prints on the knife handle, Steve. If they match yours, well, that's the answer. You're pretty well convinced that I'm murderer, aren't you, Ben? We'll let the police decide that. I'm going to call them. Well... No, no, you can't, Ben. You've got to give me a chance first. No. What do you mean? I swear to you that I didn't do it, Ben. Now, you've got to let me find who did. Just a few hours, that's all I need. Just till midnight. All right, Steve. Till midnight, then. Darling, who's in the library with you? Oh, come in quickly. Ben told me that you were hiding away in here. Ah, no! Steve, you killed her. No, I didn't do it. I'm wondering if you did. Don't be a fool, Steve. You can't get away with murder that easily. I had no motive, Marcia. Unfortunately, you did. Does anyone else know she's dead? Ben found the body. And he's called the police. No, he's given me till midnight to find the murderer. Oh, what a complete waste of time. Uh, not altogether, Marcia. Have you forgotten your prediction earlier this evening? That's of no importance. I'll admit I'm glad she's dead. But my wishing it didn't put that knife in her back. That remains to be seen, darling. Let's get it over and said with Steve. I hope you're guilty. I hope they hang you. You've treated me like a fool. You've asked for everything you're going to get. I didn't know you could be so vicious, Marcia. I only hope that I'll be able to testify against you. Thank you, my sweet. I'm not interrupting, am I? No. No, I'm leaving. Good luck, Steve. Don't go too far away, Marcia. You might be very helpful to me. I'll be here when the police come. So long, Marcia. Well, we both lose, Roy. Yes. So Ben told me. He also said he thinks you did it. But I don't agree. Thanks. But how about some evidence? Haven't you any ideas at all? No, but that executioner's costume of yours worries me. I'm sorry, Steve, but this is my night off. My record's as clean as yours. How about Ben? I can't figure out a motive for him. Well, he's my business partner. He might be trying to pin this on me. Very weak, old pal. Could you have a motive? Well, I wanted her to marry me again, but she refused. 
Said she was waiting for you to make up your mind. The police could claim I killed Joan to get her out of the way. Oh, they'll dream up some motive. I'll tell you what I'll do, Steve. I'll come in with you. I don't think you did it, and I've as much a stake as you in finding the murderer. Thanks, Roy. But we've got to work fast. I want to talk to Marcia. She had a pretty good motive for killing Joan. Yes, jealousy is still fashionable, Roy. That's a good lead. You'd better quiz Ben. See what you can find. He's been pretty anxious to call the police. I wonder what he's hiding. Suppose you rattle a skeleton or two in his closet, Steve. Maybe we'll come up with a murderer. Any clues so far, Steve? It's not very encouraging, Ben. Remember our agreement. Midnight's the deadline. You know, Ben, I've completely neglected to ask you some rather important questions. Hmm? No. What's on your mind, Steve? Well, for one thing, how come you happened to find Joan's body? I'll tell that to the police. Oh, I'm trying to clear myself of suspicion of murder, Ben. Make a very bad debating partner. Why not question Roy Benson? Now, listen, Ben, this is no idle business transaction. You've accused me of murder. It might be decent enough to explain why I should be so certain of your innocence. Suppose I call the police. Right now, Steve, let them settle a question of where the guilt belongs. You... You promised to hold off till midnight. Very well, then, but you might do better trying to clear yourself than just standing here arguing. Goodbye. Where are you going? I have an appointment with an executioner. Want to come along? Is Roy waiting in the library? Yes. That's strange. What's wrong? The door's locked. But the key is in the lock. Here, here, let me open it. Here we are. Ben, look, there by the table. Great Scott. It's Benson. We're too late. He's dead. It's horrible. And the bullet did a thorough job. Strange we didn't hear the shot. I used the silencer. It's still on the gun. No, don't touch it, Ben. Leave it for the police. I want to apologize, Steve. You're completely innocent. How do you know? Well, it's obvious now. Roy killed Joan probably because he was incensed at her refusal to marry him again. Then he committed suicide at the realization of what he'd done. Well, that's a logical explanation, Ben, and it clears me completely, but I can't accept it. Why not? Because Roy didn't commit suicide. Steve, look at the layout of the room yourself. The gun's in his right hand. He was shot in the right temple. And the body of his victims beside him. Very neat deduction, but you left out the one flaw. Hmm? What's that? The door to this room was locked from the outside. Obviously, death was instantaneous. If Roy had shot himself, he couldn't have locked the door from the other side. Yes, you're right. I unlocked that door myself. Yes, Roy Benson was murdered. And the killer must have been frightened away while he was locking the door. Then you're still implicated. But it's a rather gruesome joke on you. Somebody killed the executioner. A murderer has a sense of humor. Fine. Maybe my laugh's coming up. Destiny's Highway has led Stephen Raymond and his fiancée, Marsha Williams, to the home of Steve's partner, Ben Carter, where a masquerade ball is in progress. It is a house of gaiety. Music and laughter pervade the lower floor. 
Yes, downstairs there is revelry, but upstairs, death. In the library lie the bodies of Joan Williams and Roy Benson, her ex-husband. Steve Raymond, who has come to the masquerade dressed as a magician, is the chief suspect. For while Roy Benson was shot, the knife found in Joan Williams' body was used in Steve's magic act. Ben Carter, Steve's host, has promised to wait until midnight before calling the police in order that Steve might find sufficient evidence to exonerate himself and perhaps find the real murderer. Steve is alone with Ben Carter. They're talking. It's not very far from midnight, Steve. Well, until they unmask Ben, I have a chance to find the murderer. The same person killed them both. The knife that killed Joan was yours. But whose gun was it? Well, the police can trace the registry. That's impossible. The serial number was filed off. How do you know that? I examined the gun while we were upstairs. But I had told you not to, Ben. I wanted the police to find things untouched. I was only trying to help you, Steve. After all, you're the only one on whom the police can build a case. Remember, it was your knife that killed Joan. Well, whoever stole that knife from me killed Joan and Roy. Better use your magician's get-up of yours, Steve, and see if you can pull a murderer out of your top hat. Yes, I'm going back to the party and do just that. Yes, madam, I'm a successful stockbroker. Same thing. How about another chick? Oh, I'm sorry, but I've concluded my last performance. For a long while, I'm afraid. Steve, I've got something to tell you. What is it? I can't tell you here. I'll come into the next room. All right. Steve, I think I know who killed Joan and Roy. Good girl, who? Ben Carter. Are you sure? Practically. I was in the library looking at Joan's body, and I heard somebody in the next room. I turned out the lights and hid behind the large chair next to the fireplace. Did he come into the library? Yes. It was pitch black without the lights, but he had a flashlight with him. He played the light all over the floor as if he were looking for something. Do you know what it was? No, Steve. I was afraid to look out from behind the chair for fear he'd see me. How long was he there? Oh, about five minutes. I don't think he found what he was searching for, though. When he left the room, he muttered something about coming back later. Did you come right down here after he left? Oh, no. Right after he left the room, I went to the phone and called the police. Now, why did you do that? Well, I found the murderer. So it was my duty to notify them. How do you know Ben didn't hear you call? Oh, I waited until he was far enough down the hall. I even kept the lights out in case he happened to look back. How long ago did you phone? Just a few minutes ago. I came right down here to you after I called. I'll have to work fast. Come along, Marcia. I want to look at that library. Oh, no light showing under the door. Let's go in. Nothing's been touched since I was here. Now, what could Ben have been searching for? Well, perhaps he dropped something when he killed Joan and Roy. He's possibly, but what? Steve, look. Hmm? There. Under that chair near the fireplace. Yes, I see it. What is it? A large black button. I recognize that. Didn't you notice that one of the buttons on Ben's clown suit was missing? Yes, you're right, Marsha. There. Doesn't that prove his guilt? Not necessarily. The thing that still interests me is his certainty that my fingerprints are on the handle of the knife that killed Joan. Well, how could it have been used without disturbing your prints? By wearing gloves and using the blade part of the knife for throwing. 
That's very clever of you, darling. If my prints are still on that knife handle, they were placed there when I used the weapon in my little act downstairs. When it was stolen from me, the prints were very carefully preserved. What are you going to do? I'm going to make a call, try to get some information on fingerprints. Let me have the inspector, please. Wait a minute. Someone's on the other extension. Who is it? Ben. He's decided not to wait till midnight, as he promised me. He's a little worried. Listen. Inspector Bolden, this is Ben Carter, 116 Ocean Road. Yes, Mr. Carter. There have been two murders in my house. You'd better send someone out immediately. Two murders? Both at the same time? No, they happened separately. What's going on up there? Please hurry. The murderer is still in the house. I'll watch him till you get here. We'll lock the doors. I want no one to leave before I get there. Getting himself up. I'm afraid he's not, Marcia. He's determined to prove me guilty. Oh, he hasn't a chance. Hasn't he? What proof do we have? Well, I saw him in this room. When Joan and Roy were killed? Of course not. But why was he sneaking around in here looking for this lost button? Well, whatever the reason, I'm afraid my goose and I are cooked quite thoroughly. Oh, no, you're not. Hey, where are you going? What? There's someone at the door. I think you ought to know I called the police. They'll be here shortly. Yes, I know. We heard you on the phone, Ben. I wouldn't advise either of you to leave the house. Why don't you stop all this pretense, Ben? We know you killed Joan and Roy. <laughs> Marcia's still loyal to you, Steve. I was behind this chair earlier this evening when you came up here prowling around with a flashlight. Well, why didn't you help me find what I was searching for? Was it this? Yes. Yes, the button from my costume. Please give it to me. Oh, no, no, no. This goes to the police. Well, I... Oh, don't be absurd, Marsha. I, I lost it up here before the ball began. I'm sorry to contradict you, Ben, but it was on your clown suit when we first came tonight. Oh, I... Thanks for calling the police, Ben. All right, I admit I lost it up here after Joan and Roy were killed. I... I wanted the button back because I knew it would look suspicious if the police found it. Mm-hmm. It's midnight. I have to end the masquerade. Yes, and we mustn't delay the master of the revels. Uh, coming, Steve? Yes, might as well, Ben. We'll keep an eye on one another until the police decide which one of us is the murderer. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the masquerade, the time has come when you must leave the mystery of the unknown and return to the reality of the present. The peasant will become a wealthy man, the clown a respected philosopher, the beggar a statesman. This is the moment. Unmask, please. Ben, the police are in the hall. Take care of them for a minute, Steve. I'll be right back. Oh, I'll give them all the clues they require. Well, what's the delay? Mr. Carter will be here in just a moment, Inspector. My name's Steve Raymond. I believe that Mr. Carter considers me the principal suspect. Did you do it? No. I hope you'll believe me. I believe no one, only evidence. Would you care to see the bodies? I want to see Mr. Carter first. Come on, Inspector, that came from the garden. Then that's where we're heading for. Let's go. Calm yourself. We've no time for hysteria. Well, I, I was sitting here 
under this arbor when I suddenly heard someone moving in back of me. I turned around quickly and saw Ben come toward me. That gun was in his hand. What did he say to you? Oh, his face had sort of a crazy look on it. He told me that I was the only one who could possibly testify against him. He came closer to me and brought the gun down as if to strike me. Did he hit you? No. No, I dodged the blow and, and I grabbled with him for the gun. Finally, I managed to get possession of it. And I shot him. It was the only thing I could do. Let me see that gun, Mr. Raymond. You say you are, Inspector? Will you hold the flashlight, Mr. Raymond? Surely. Now, just a little fingerprint powder over the butt of the revolver. There we are. Now... Do you see the impression? Yes, there are two distinct sets of prints on the butt. Just as I told you, Ben and I fought for the gun. Is your conclusion the same as mine, Mr. Raymond? I'm afraid it is, Inspector. Marsha lied in her story. That's ridiculous, Steve. Don't you see the two sets of prints? That's just it, Marsha. If you and Ben had fought for possession of the gun, the two sets of prints would have been smudged and blurred. Not distinct and clear as they are now. It was very convenient of you to tell that story. Why'd you try to kill this man? Try? He's dead, isn't he? Not quite. Fortunately for him, one bullet missed and the other just creased his scalp. He'll be around shortly and in fine shape to testify against you. And this was your second mistake, Marsha. I first became suspicious of your sudden reformation in my behalf when you told me you dialed the police telephone number in the darkened library. I was convinced you hadn't phoned when we listened in on Ben's call to police headquarters. It was obvious from the inspector's reaction that it was the first report of the murders he had had. Watch out, old lady. Don't make me chase you through the garden. I'm not that young anymore. Let go of me. Go of me. Of course I killed him. Joan was a worthless fool trying to take you away from me. I stole your knife and used it the way you guessed I did. Your prints were on the handle, but Ben didn't know for certain whether they were yours. Why did you kill Roy? He accused me of killing Joan, and he told me that he had the proof to back up his charge. And I couldn't take a chance. If I hadn't locked the door, you would never have guessed that it wasn't suicide. One mistake is all that's needed, young lady. Well, Mr. Raymond, I guess that's about all. Yes, Inspector. I'm afraid the masquerade is over. shadows and stillness, mystery weaves a spell of strangest fascination, charging the mind with doubts and fears. For mystery is a strange companion, a living memory in the haunting hour. Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. I'm Joshua. All right. Well, uh, here's how I'd like to uh, start this. Looks like Ben and Steve dodged a bullet. (laughs) 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 See, because Ben only got grazed in the temple, and Steve was going to marry that crazy woman. (laughs) And so... They both kind of dodged a bullet, see? 
you know what sucks is writing something like that and waiting all day. <laughs> And you guys just stare at me. Oh, I, I just couldn't remember who was who in this. <laughs> well, there's that. There's six guys that all sound alike. Ben, Randy, Steve, Roy, and... Well, all right, Tim, this is your pick. Yeah, I wanted to put this on the show because, I mean, purely this is, to me, like comfort food. This was like roast beef and potatoes of radio. It's It's a murder mystery and a masquerade. It's... Just lots of fun elements of this kind of old-time murder stories. I would agree with that 100%. That's uh, interesting because one of my first notes was, it's like The Shadow. It's, it's a murder mystery, but, you know, I don't know who Steve thinks he is. All of a sudden, he's Johnny Detective. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but it, it's got that element of not so much, it's not horror. No. Uh, but it is uh, comfortable it's basic murder mystery, and I found it pretty well done for that. Yeah. Joshua. It struck me as an English drawing room murder yes. yeah. disguised or masquerading. Oh, <laughs> see? Hey. Yours dodged a bullet. Oh, I got oh. it. <laughs> I hate you both. This is our last podcast. <laughs> but it's masquerading as a... As a creepy thriller. And so that's a little odd with, with the opening with the haunting hour. Yeah. Destined to spend a strange and macabre evening of fear. <laughs> There's your word again, too, in the opening. It's but not yeah. A word. I know. <laughs> So I think if you get past that kind of bait and switch of tuning into the haunting hour. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it has that drawing room mystery aspect to it in that everyone in this mystery is very desensitized to the murder around them. That's a note of my wickedly desensitized to these murders. Yeah. The fact that they go and still do the 12 o'clock pulling the masks off and all that. But you're right, Joshua. If they would have named this Steve, uh, Detective Steve goes to a masquerade, we would have been just fine with this. It's almost like a game. It reminded me of Clue. Uh, it was like yeah. a Cinderella in the library with the magician's knife. Uh, <laughs> so much that I honestly, for a short time, thought that maybe this was going to be the reveal, that this was a murder mystery game. Uh, and I realized, oh, no, wait, yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. later yeah. on. This is too early for that. As a It wasn't invented shtick. yet, see? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And why did he bring real knives that could kill people as part of his <laughs> that, That's also costume. part of what appealed to me, of like, this was a different era of <laughs> masquerade parties. Right. <laughs> right. Come and be dangerous. Right, and they weren't wearing helmets either. <laughs> You should never invite me to masquerade party. For as much as I romanticize it and like it, I, I would show up and like, ah, I found a garbage bag and I put it on my head. Ah, I'm a garbage bag head. <laughs> a good costume, Tim. You so, think that's going to stop me from having a masquerade? I've got to see that now. I'm so inviting only you. <laughs> oh, no, it's garbage bag in the library. <laughs> the magician's knife. I'll give you two hours before I call the police <laughs> so that we can trample all over this crime scene. <laughs> right? Well, and then there's that yeah. moment where he says, don't touch that and don't touch you. Well, that's another weird part of this. Steve all of a sudden is a detective and everybody's okay with that idea. And the two hours and there's a lot about this that makes me crazy. No if this were is... told from the point of view of a policeman showing up, why did you do it this way? You're all right. going to jail. Right. <laughs> You've all covered up a, a crime. You need to report that to me. Yeah, none of it makes sense. Even the inspector, when he does arrive, instantly partners up with Steve. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he does. You look good. Hey, prime suspect. Let's solve this mystery together. <laughs> well, and the nonchalance of hanging around in the library with the body. Gene is dead. 
and they're just in there talking. I'd like, isn't there a, oh God, let's get out of here. Throw a blanket over her. But as Tim said, then it follows a traditional detective story. I mean, that's how... Lamont Cranston reacts to everything, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, it's it's a puzzle. Like those uh, old drawing room, as you were saying, where when you find a body, your reaction is, oh my. And that's about as shocked as you get. Yeah, and you calmly go through the list of suspects, and you discuss things in a very rational manner. Uh, ironically, the only person who reacts with emotion ends up being the killer. Yeah. Marsha's the only one. She gasps and gets a little little hysterical yeah, when she sees right? the body. She gets super angry at uh, Steve saying, I hope you hang for this. And where did their relationship start? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in the beginning of this whole thing, Steve has an indifference to Marsha, who is his fiance, an indifference to their impending marriage that is off-putting. In the car ride to the masquerade of, if you flirt with her, okay. If you do this, all right, you know, we're not married yet. Okay, all right, calm down. <laughs> he doesn't really seem to care much, and I don't know if that's a setup for character development for the story or if it's just a sign of the times on how men talk to their women. Or, or, or no, I, I think it was lining up motives for the murder. I mean, right. these guys have a preposterously tangled relationship, all these people. I had right. to go back and listen to it to figure out that Ben was used to married, be married to, to Jean. Jean. Somehow, right. for some reason, wants her back. Yep. But she's interested in Steve. Steve seems kind of interested in her, yet he is engaged right. to Marsha. And then Steve is business partners with Ben. Right. Who has a 15-year-old clown costume that he wears <laughs> okay. every year. So yeah, you took that from me. But here's here's the most disturbing and scary thing. He calls his clown costume sturdy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sturdy, it's a sturdy costume. You, you know when he loses his button uh, toward the end. Yeah. Uh, uh, did anyone else imagine it as like a huge novelty a huge, clown oh, yeah. button? No, it was like the size of a, a frisbee. Dinner plate, right. Yeah. right. Well, it had to be a big giant button. It fell off and just clattered on the floor. <laughs> That's how they all noticed that the button was missing. Like, I noticed that you had that huge button on your clown costume. Right. Couldn't that's help 15 but. years old. And sturdy. Not so sturdy, button loser. Uh, yeah. This clown costume can take a beating. <laughs> and a murder. That beginning, though, then, if it's not just indicative of the times and men talking down to women and being terrible to them, then if it's a setup for their differences and they weren't getting along that well, that's mm-hmm. fine. But it was really, well, also because it's 2017, I didn't like how he was talking to her. <laughs> really play into the, the dynamic of the detective and his fiance is the, is the actual murderer and he's blinded to her, her responsibility because of his feelings. Like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it should have been really obvious. She just lays out all her motives in that car ride. <laughs> yeah. Right? And he even says, like, oh, once you get there, you can put strychnine in everybody's yeah. drink if you want to. Yeah. They, it was pretty obvious. Where Yet at the same was. time, the structure of it was kind of odd. So I never guessed it was Marsha. I thought it was too obvious. I thought she was the red herring. Yeah, but I figured it out toward the end when everybody else had been eliminated. <laughs> there wasn't too many people left in the, the gunshots that you heard off in the distance. You figured those, it probably wasn't. Was those gunshots? Because they sounded like someone being spanked. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible gunshots. Just, just grazed with the spanking. It might have been more of his clown buttons falling off his costume. <laughs> <laughs> clank, clank. Here's another thing about this uh, that brings up this really important point about if you're ever in a situation where someone's been killed and 
not only should you call the police right away and not do any of these things these people did, take two hours to solve it yourself, but check for a pulse. <laughs> what do you mean he's not? Ah, oh, he just got grazed. See? Okay. That's a big one. Make sure they're dead. Yeah, his scalp got grazed. But he, I assumed he was wearing a big clown wig. <laughs> so that might have been why she missed his head. Right? Shot right through the hair. I think, honestly, that was the, the most entertaining part of this, is figuring out what costume each character was wearing. Because I did have all these elaborate visualizations of the executioner costume and the magician and Cinderella. Oh, and the, got... clown, the clown gave me endless entertainment. <laughs> Steve. Like the clown on the phone to the police. <laughs> What's Police? that? Honk, honk. Honk. <laughs> honk. I'll send down 30 boys in a car. <laughs> Here's, uh, where are we on the, uh, how do we feel about this? My opinion from the get-go was that not that this would be a timeless classic, but just that it was, it's very much of its time, but I like it for being that. Yeah, I would agree. I, I don't know that it even stands the test of time, but it's entertaining um, as a little snapshot of this era and how they would pad out episodes like of The Haunting Hour. Like, we don't really have a spooky story this week. How about a murder mystery that I cranked out on my But even way over so, here? if you're going to be The Haunting Hour, right? And you, have, you can go with this straightforward murder mystery, just at the very end go, look, a ghost. <laughs> do <Good> something <laughs> it was a ghost with a gun see i as, found it entertaining i found it really entertaining i thought it was great i liked it but as we discussed at the beginning the problem is it's called the haunting hour you're waiting for something and what you're getting is a an old sam spade also what's disappointing is that steve chose to go as a magician because that's bs because that's nothing but a tux <laughs> I That's why he has a- the knives. <laughs> the knives like solid. all magicians carry. <laughs> right, right. Never cross magician. I imagined a cape, at least. A, a cape, cape and a tux. And, a tux. Okay. and he even makes a reference to, like, that he kind of cheated. Everyone's going to know who he is. Right. So he even acknowledges that it's a lame costume. Because he doesn't even have a mask. Yeah, I, I would assume he doesn't have a mask. Didn't even though. go to the trouble to put a garbage bag on his head. <laughs> <laughs> why do we invite Steve? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say that I really like this. And I think that if you like a good murder mystery, I think it kind of does stand the test of time. I said kind of. <laughs> but it wasn't too suspenseful, though. Yeah, I mean, I think if this is the first episode of Old Time Radio you hear, it's not necessarily going to capture you to set fire to your passion to listen to more of these. But so if you like it at all. For those that... <laughs> if this is your first episode, <laughs> bye! <laughs> so, but you chose it now. It was... Haunting Hour something that you've listened to before, Tim? No, no. Uh, again, I, I hear a mishmash of them, and this was one that just because it was a masquerade, and it's just, yep. it's fun to have a murder mystery to masquerade. What are the other Haunting Hours like? I haven't... I don't know. No, it, This is actually, I think, the, the first one. Yeah, it's my first one. I had a couple Haunting Hour episodes on an old cassette, mm-hmm. old-time radio set as a kid, and I remember them being actually haunting. Not great, but they were actually like supernatural stories. Okay. Uh, they were still only a half an hour, though. <laughs> <laughs> I was not an hour at all. I thought it was well-performed. I thought the, the actors did, I did a too. very nice job. I mean, I think you brought this up at the very beginning, though, Eric, is they had too many male characters who sounded oh, yeah. exactly alike. I had to listen to it twice because the first time I had no idea who was Ben and who was Steve and who was uh, the Roy. other guy, Roy. <laughs> Monosyllabic yeah. male character, yeah. yes. So that was that reminds you when you're listening to old-time radio and suddenly someone comes in with a totally unneeded generic European accent. 
that is why, because it, it really helps you it, exactly discern why. who these yeah. characters are. That's why there's so much over-the-top character work mm-hmm. uh, it, it, to help your brain keep it straight. We can't see them, so. Nope. Well, I will say uh, it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be our vote, right? It was fine. Right. Yeah, we'll go with that. We, is that one of our categories? Well, it's, it it's, be. it's not meant I'm to not be mad, like... mad, but it was fine. Passive-aggressive, lukewarm praise. <laughs> <laughs> Right. It was nice. So nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, Tim, why don't you tell us all about Ghoulish Delights? Hey, let me talk about Ghoulish Delights. I have a website called ghoulishdelights.com where you can go and learn about live shows we do out in the world because we do live shows. We present, uh, we take some of these scripts from an old radio shows and perform them live. Uh, you can also, on that website, ghoulishdelights.com, find uh, past episodes of this podcast. And we have many, and they're awesome. And right now we're at the James Hill uh, center in St. Paul uh, doing some live shows and uh, recreations of these classic radio dramas and some more information coming up soon about some more places will be this summer. Yeah. What else can they do? They can go to iTunes and write a review of this podcast. Reviews really help and we have a number of really nice reviews but we would love more. So please, if you're enjoying this, uh, share that enjoyment with the internet and with iTunes specifically. (laughs) (laughs) Who's got the next one? That would be me. And next time we will be listening to an episode of Suspense called A Shroud for Sarah starring Lucille Ball. Nice. Until next time. Look out!